Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 408 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her fitness. Yes, stand up for this entire episode. I want to make certain that you're just getting that whole messaging about what it's like, and it's better than you think. So stop sweating. That had nothing to do with fitness. All right. Before we begin this terrific episode, just know that it's made possible by our Solaray Vitamin Sponsor. Solaray Vitamins will help fill in those little blanks when we're having those days, we're not getting those fruits and vegetables and all the vitamins, nutrients, and minerals that we need. So run on over to solaray.com and check out the multiple vitamins. We love them. Okay, solaray.com. Now, what I want you to do is remember that after this episode, run on over to iTunes to rate and review the episode. This is the first little reminder. I'll give you another one later on because I love your feedback. I just sit around waiting for it. You know I do. All right. It's time for Her. Her. The podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. Oh, yep, fitness. Now, everyone out there knows that I'm like a fitness crazy person because I love it. And um, as someone who sits on the board of trustees of the American College of Sports Medicine, we message this 24-7. And it's just so wonderful. But now we're going to do it with a female, gender-specific nuance to it. So we're going to eliminate the bro talk. Um, and we're going to get into the bra talk um, and make this thing work one way or the other. And I couldn't think of a better person to come and join me than Carla DiGirolamo. Say it. It's D. Say it's it. DiGirolamo. DiGirolamo. I. You know, I just spend. I think my second career is just butchering people's names. <laughs> Carla. Oh my gosh, she's a double board certified physician in reproductive endocrinology, infertility, and obstetrics and gynecology, and she specializes in all aspects of infertility care, is a recipient of numerous recognitions, including four consecutive Boston Magazine Top Doctor Awards. Oh, my goodness gracious. Now, let's get to the fitness part of this, because honestly, you are everything. You're looking at menopause, certifications, all the rest of it, but... She's also a credentialed, uh uh-oh, hold on to your seats, CrossFit Level 1 trainer, certified nutrition coach, and group fitness instructor, and has been featured in numerous podcasts, now today, and national conferences for elite and recreational athletes. So what, my my first question is, what don't you do? I mean, seriously, um, it was sort of like one of those E all of the above, Carlos. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I've spent a lot of my career kind of uh, honing in on a focus. You know, it started out with general OBGYN. I was then interested in infertility. All the while, I've been an athlete my whole life, and those kind of parallel lives have been running next to each other. And it hasn't been until this phase of my career that I've been able to integrate them. So I've really turned my focus to what I like to call performance endocrinology for women, where uh, my specialty is 
maximizing and optimizing performance in women and from reproductive age through menopause. Um, because what we're learning now more and more in the fitness industry is that women's performance is different from men, shocker. And it's based and rooted in our unique hormonal physiology. So as a reproductive endocrinologist, I've spent 17 years studying um, female menstrual cycles and hormone aberrations that impact menstrual cycles and some that don't. And it was really a great way to bring my two passions together. I love it. Performance endocrinology. I, I just think that that's so cool. And, you know, I got to say, what's really cool about um, talking to you, Carla, is that you're a fellow physician and also a fellow athlete, which is cool because we can't really talk about this deeply without practicing it. Um, otherwise, it's a little bit hypocritical, um, you know, assuming you can, you know, do athletic performance. Um, but it's just important to walk the talk. And that's one of the reasons why I was so interested in, in hearing your opinion about all of this. Women are, are desperately trying to figure out a way to stay fit mentally and physically, because you know when you're physically fit, you know, it really has serious impact on, on the mind, clearly. Um, but how to be able to do it in a way that's sustainable? Oh, there's the $60,000 question. You know, we could do something for a week and then it's like, bye bye And honestly, you know how that January 1 thing looks, you're good to go for a couple weeks or so. And then it's, you know, the, the big time to end it all is usually the second weekend of February. And then all those great ideas. I have a feeling about that. And that is, you know, Jan 1 is not like magical. If it is good for you, that's wonderful. But every moment of every day is an opportunity to change it up for the better, period. End of story. I mean, that's just the way it is. So, um, you know, I really wanted to look at the opportunities for women to be able to improve their, their fitness journey. And since I'm um, on the board of ACSM, uh, they have just launched their 2023 fitness trends. And uh, I've shared these with you, and I'd love to kind of go over these and, and look at ways, based upon your expertise, um, of women integrating some of this at a level that will help them to sustain um, even the smallest little steps. I mean, you know, step counters help, um, and there you have it. So the first thing, go figure. The number one fitness trend is wearable technology. These are fitness trackers, smartwatches, heart rate monitors, GPS uh, tracking uh, devices, um, and uh, tech that can monitor heart rate, calories, sitting time, sleep, and more. Look what I'm wearing. It's the Aura Ring. There you go. And you got your little goodie too. So, you know... Do these work? I mean, seriously, do they help incentivize people? And have you, in your experience, found them to be helpful? Well, I'll be honest. I just got my whoop strap literally a week ago. And, you know, I've really hemmed and hawed over wearable technology personally because of my 
relationship with numbers personally that I've had. You know, some people define themselves by the number on the scale, uh, by their dress size, their pants size. Um, I think we all can become obsessed with numbers in a certain way. For me, it's the weight on the barbell. It's the clock, you know, when that, when that CrossFit clock counts down to zero, you know, what is my, my time to complete the workout going to be compared to somebody else? And so in the past, I've struggled with that. And, and I had been resistant to wearables because, great, this is just more data and more numbers for me to realize just how imperfect I am and to obsess. And so I think it's a double-edged sword. It depends on what you want to use it for. Now, the reason I, I went and got one was because I have a very specific goal for this coming year, and that is to increase my aerobic capacity. As a CrossFitter, with the sports that I've played in the past, they've all been like high interval, high intensity interval type sports. I've played volleyball, I've played softball, I've played tennis. Um, and I've also been a group X instructor. So none of that has really been long endurance and that's something I've been terrible at. So with a specific goal in mind and having come a long way with my relationship with numbers, I decided I was finally going to take the plunge. So I think with wearables, I think, yes, if you get some of the more reputable ones, they are accurate. They do work. There's a lot of good research behind them, but I think you need to, know and be honest with yourself about what you want to gain from wearing one. I think that that is so spot on. So, you know, when I got this aura, um, this was actually given to me by aura, thank God. Um, and <laughs> a couple pennies involved. Uh, I, you know what I found myself doing? I mean, I'm a clinical scientist, um, and I love numbers. Um, and it's kind of interesting, what I'm all about is discovering new things. So I had never really seen my own sleep metrics. You know, I figured, hey, you know, let's just see how she's doing. I mean, I could say anecdotally, like, I got a master's degree, maybe a PhD in sleeping, because World War III could break out and I'd still be snoozing along. Um, but was that good? Was that bad? I mean, you know, what is my REM sleep and deep sleep? And because we know that it's tied into fitness, we know it's tied into nutrition. Um, and so the thing I liked about it was it was an integrative approach. And so I was just blown away by looking at all of that and my heart rate variability, which you'll be able to see on your whoop um, and all the rest of it. And I have learned a boatload. I just find it to be enormously fun um, to learn all this. I just, you know, I have a big smile on my face. I'm like, oh, I really crushed it. And then I can increase, I, I mess with it because since I'm a scientist, I say, can I, how about some hacks? And so I can actually increase, quadruple my heart rate variability with meditation. So how crazy is that? And I do transcendental meditation. So it's more of a structured one for 20 minutes and all the rest of it. But who knew? I mean, I've been messing with this now ever since, you know, I've had it now for about 10 months. And uh, it's just been an eye-opener and really interesting. The other day, I got a summary. I didn't even know they do summaries. <laughs> I think it's something Aura just started. Hell, I don't know. But I got a summary for 10 months. And the summary included my steps. Now, I never really look at my steps because I'm so physically active. 
I have two athletic German shepherds, enough said. Um, Got to get them out twice a day. And so I'm crushing four miles a day for sure. Um, and there you go. But I didn't know they did this like step thing. So they told me I did 3,056,000, you know, steps in 10 months. And I divided that out. And that is almost exactly 10,000 steps a day. I laughed so hard I fell off my damn chair. I thought, now, isn't this interesting? I've never seen any data like that. And I, I had a lot of fun with that. So, you know, I mean, are the steps accurate? Who cares? I mean, I know that I'm doing whatever. So wearable technology, you're right. You have to kind of have a little outcome in mind here, you know, in a big way. Now, you know what number two is. It's our favorite. It's strength training um, with weights, right? So why is that so important? Well, I think... It's especially important for women because of what our physiology does through a lifetime, especially, you know, going through perimenopause and menopause, you know, that time of our lives, we start to lose muscle mass, we start to lose bone mass. And I can tell you that although a lot of people will very simply chalk it up to, well, you know, you don't, you're not as active at that time of your life. So, you know, that's just the way it goes. That may be true that we might not be as active at that time of our life, but it's it's really not the whole story. In fact, it's not even the biggest part of the story. What the biggest part of the story is, is the physiological changes that are going on in muscle and bone as a result of the decline in estrogen. And there is a way around it. And the way around it is to incorporate strength training into your workouts. Um, I have a lot of clients, a lot of training clients who are elite level endurance athletes. These women are, are training 10, 12 hours a week, and they're still experiencing those same body composition changes. So, you know, their, their activity hasn't declined, but yet they're still um, experiencing these changes. So it's certainly a lot more than activity and, and it goes back to the physiology and the end run around those hormones is by stimulating the muscles with, with resistance training and, uh, and weight training. How much resistance training and weight training does a woman need who's just an average person, non-elite, who's obviously competing and everything? So, you know, just your average woman is just trying, right? What do you think? Well, I think it's also a matter of what is her experience? Has she ever picked up a barbell in her life? You know, I mean, if she's someone who's never done any level of strength training, I might start out with just once or twice a week. Someone who is maybe recreationally active, maybe has tried a little bit of everything, has some level of competency, I think two to three times a week is probably optimal for some strength training. But there's other types of fitness like uh, functional fitness and CrossFit training that incorporates, like the workout I did yesterday that, you know, thank God I'm sitting down right now, uh, incorporated back squats and box jumps and kettlebell swings. So you can incorporate some uh, cardiovascular exercises with the strength training to get an even greater neurological response. So, you know, some sort of lifting of weights in some capacity two to three times a week. And someone who has had a little bit of experience would probably be what I'd say. But you got to be careful in people who have had no experience with it. They have to start slow and they can work up to that two to three times per week. I highly recommend that if a woman um, has not had any real weight training experience, that she uh, get with 
a qualified, certified uh, fitness professional. And there are some really great groups out there where you can most definitely be working closely with people who have done lots of training, have great experience, but most importantly, are safe for you. Um, because, you know, you're not a quarterback, um, you know, for the Ravens here. You're a woman, and the older you get and the more and the longer you've been sedentary, relatively speaking, you know, the slower you have to start it out. But, you know, it's interesting. You're going to learn about your body, too. I mean, I've watched some women who just go, oh, I can't do that. And then they start in, and it's like, whoa, you know, they a little mesomorph was hiding under there. And next thing you know, they're kind of like rocking and rolling and they're really getting into it. And so you are your own surprise here. The only way you're ever going to learn about that is by actually experimenting. But I really recommend you get a fitness professional who knows what they're doing. The American College of Sports Medicine fitness professionals are a terrific group. The American uh, Council on Exercise, there's so many more. There's strength and conditioning associations um, that certify as well. So, you know, really ask about certification. It's, it's super, super important. And then, of course, you know, number three is body weight training. Now, that's interesting. What's the difference between body weight training, right, and, and strength training? So what's, what's that about? Well, I think there's some overlap. You know, when you think about body weight training, you're thinking about, you know, the basics like push-ups and pull-ups. For many women, you know, a push-up, a strict push-up from your toes, that's a heavy lift, for, for many women. You don't think of it that way. But the truth is, you know, you're, you know, depending on how much you weigh, you know, you're in a plank position on the floor and you lower yourself down and you raise yourself back up. And that's a lot of weight. And if you're not used to doing it, that is a heavy lift for you. Uh, Pull-ups, same thing. Uh, many people who have no experience with them can't do them the first time they try them because you're lifting, you know, 120, 130 pounds off the floor. Uh, again, that's a heavy lift. So there is a degree of overlap with a lot of body weight exercises. Now, other body weight exercises are like plyometrics, and I think plyometrics is incredibly important. That's certainly not resistance training, but it gives you benefits to your define it. Yeah, define plyometrics it. is like a like a jumping movement. Anything that gets a little bit of air under your feet, um, you could consider plyometric. Um, so even box step-ups, there's a little bit of plyometric there because you're actually stepping up, putting some weight on the bones, um, and some stress on the bones in a certain way. But, but traditionally it's just anything that gets a little bit of air under your feet. It could be jump rope. It could be box jump. It could be jumping jacks. It could be a high knee run. Um, things like that are, are considered plyometric exercises. And a lot of that is done, um, with body weight and it's incredibly, incredibly beneficial for muscle and bone. I just love push-ups, um, for the following reason. When I mentioned this to a woman who maybe, you know, is not particularly fit, um, whatever, uh, she'll say, well, why is this so important? And I'll say, okay. You are now 55 years old or 60. You fell down. Nobody else is around to help you. How are you getting off the floor? All right. So when you think about it, when, you, when you're doing a, a, um, a push-up off the floor, that's exactly what it looks like. I mean, you've got to be able to manipulate your body around and save your own life. 
And so what I also love about it is, you know, you're doing a lot of things at one time. You're multitasking. So how many muscles? I counted up to eight that you can actually, you know, really utilize and and get fit with um, when you do a full-on push-up. But, you know, start with bent knee push-ups. You know, it works like a charm. And if your knees are a little shaky or whatever, I mean, put a pad underneath and, and that'll help soften it because that ends up being a problem for people too. But I love, you know, the whole issue of using your body weight because then there's no excuse. It's not like, oh, and I had no e equipment around and I couldn't do it. And yes, you can. You know, wall squat, you got a wall, I'll squat, you know, <laughs> You know, these, these are things you can do, you know. Um, and I'm also a firm believer in my wonderful rubber tubing. I could stick that sucker everywhere. I could, you know, I keep it in my office at all times. And what I'm able to do is just when I have a moment, it's like 10 minutes between meetings, um, I could just, you know, do a little something with it. Everything. Hit the floor, do a little, you know, some rows. It's all good. Um, so there are a lot of options. I'm trying to really impress upon women here that we got options and, and it's so terribly important. Now, none of us are going to do this without meaning and purpose in life. You're not a robot. All right. Some people are just naturally athletic and they kind of get out there and I don't know, they live in their world. But for the majority of women, it's like, why am I doing this again? I, I told you before, if you fall down, and you can't get up, this could be a problem. If you can't run fast enough to be able to save someone's life, like a grandchild or a child, that you got a problem. Um, and a lot of this is survival. So it's extremely important to keep this in mind, meaning and purpose, and also just feeling phenomenal. You know, I mean, it's what you do once you're, once you're done with doing, you know, the hard work here. All right. And then, you know, uh, the next one is fitness programs for older adults. You know something? Finally, the aging population is showing up here. I mean, it's like, oh, they were a blow off for the longest period of time. If you look at the fitness trends, it's like, hello, you know, for people 50 and over, we, we're here. I swear there's a whole, there's like multiple millions of us. And so that's good. Functional fitness training. This obviously overlaps with so much of what we talked about here, but functional means in multiple planes, right? So tell us why this is important for a woman's life. So functional fitness is fitness that utilizes movements that we do every day. That's like squats, deadlifts, push-ups. Like you said, that's how you get yourself off the, off the floor, lunges. Things like that, even just reaching like an overhead press, that's when you want to lift something up and put it on a shelf. These are movements we do every day. This uh, is the basis of, of CrossFit methodology. Um, CrossFit certainly didn't corner it. Functional fitness has been around forever, but it is the cornerstone for, um, for the, the CrossFit movement. And it's important for a number of reasons. One, it keeps you fit in doing the things that we do every day. But the thing that you alluded to before when you were talking about push-ups is that it recruits multi multiple muscle groups at a time and is also stimulating the nervous system because the nervous system has to be involved in recruiting all those muscles. And that kind of stimulation of the body stimulates change and change results in fitness as you adapt to it. 
Um, so I think functional fitness actually came into being as with a lot of the trends that you just discussed in 2020, when life changed forever, you know, we had to do fitness in a much different way. We were confined to our houses. So what did we do? We bought fitness equipment, we bought dumbbells and we started doing more functional things because you could do them at home. You could do them without, uh, without an instructor. Um, essentially. So I think a lot of these trends are still lingering around. And then the other trend that you just mentioned about fitness programming for older people, well, I think what we learned with COVID is that people who exercise and who are fit did a lot better when it came to complications due to COVID. So I think people became much more aware about their health because it was that older demographic that tended to be more at risk uh, of, of severe complications with COVID. And people realized that, wow, fitness really matters. You know, I mean, we get a pandemic once every hundred or so years, but we, we happen to live through this one. So I think that's a lot of, le of the lessons that we learned from the pandemic are still um persisting in a good way. I think this is all good and it will just give us more options for being fit later on. Well, that, that segues beautifully into the next one, which is outdoor activities and everything from, you know, walking, biking, organized hiking, uh, you know, the activities could be short events, day long, multi-day excursions. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking almost like it was yesterday, Carla. It's so weird. I'm always outdoors. I mean, my middle name is how can I get out of here and, and be in the outdoors? I just love the outdoors. So I'm out with my dogs. I'm out doing things. I just came back from Sedona from hiking the, the Red Mountains. And I'm, I'm just saying, right? So here I am. Sometimes I'm all by my little self, you know, because where I live is, you know, it's lovely country-ish area around and whatever. Oh my, as soon as the pandemic hits, you know, and, and this lockdown craziness kind of, you know, got a little bit more under control, people appeared. They were everywhere. Who are you? I never see you. <laughs> it's like, where'd you come from? And then they say, well, you know, you can only sit in your house, you know, biting your nails for so long. It was kind of crazy. And now, flash forward, we're, we're now entering the third year now. Right. And so 2020 to 2021, 21 to 22. And now here we are. All right. So how many of these people are still doing this? You want to know something? A goodly number. I think it really stuck. I think people were like, well, wait a minute. I've been missing this. And the fact that still a lot of people are going to continue, maybe permanently be remote, gives you the opportunity to be able to get up and just, you know, for crying out loud get outside and, and do something. So, you know, I think the functional fitness and the outdoor activities um, really go kind of hand in hand with so much of what happened, you know, with the uh, pandemic. Um, it's sort of like uh, in the midst of difficulty lies opportunity. And I think that's kind of a little bit of what happened. Now, the next one, we got several more to go. High intensity interval training. Why should a woman care? And what is this exactly? Well, just to uh, just to to continue off of your last point about being outside, I think people also realize the therapeutic uh, feel 
to being outside. You know, I know myself, I didn't really do much kayaking until, <laughs> until 2020, 2021. And I remember being out on the lake saying, oh my God, this is fantastic. And just the therapeutic effect of being outside, I think people began to appreciate um, so that was my only comment about, about that, that trend. Totally agree. Yeah. And, uh, but as far as high intensity interval training, what is that? That is when you escalate, when you do an intense activity that traditionally escalates your heart rate to 70 to 80 to 90% of your maximum for a short period of time for like 20, 30 seconds, and then you get an interval of rest. So classic interval training would be something like Tabata, which would be 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest. That's an example. There's many other ways to do interval training, but the idea is, is that you have a short interval of intense work followed by a short interval of rest. And you do this, you know, periodically over and over. And um, I think the American Heart Association, I remember reading this when I was preparing a course that I just wrote um, for menopausal uh, trainers, is that there is data that shows that strength and cardiovascular risk can improve when uh, you're doing high-intensity interval training. So it's been around for a long time, I think, as group fitness, you know, fitness and fitness studios, uh, step aerobics, you know, when that started to make its way in the 1990s and early 2000s, that's a lot of interval type training. A lot of stuff that you do in boot camps and stuff is interval type training. And so it's been around for a long time, but there's just different spins on it now. Um, lots of functional fitness can be intervals. Like you might do an interval of three different movements, be it a back squat, kettlebell squat, swing box jump. It takes you two minutes to do that. You're working hard during those two minutes, then you get two minutes of rest. So it comes in many shapes and sizes, but um, it stimulates the heart, it stimulates the nervous system, and that's probably where the benefit comes from. I think um, one of my favorite books on this is uh, by our friend Jabala up in um, Canada, who wrote the One Minute Workout. And um, it was obviously a play on words and everything, but for all intent and purposes, he has all kinds of iterations of how you can do this. If you're sitting there, you know, breaking out in a little sweat and nervous about this, it could be something as simple as here's the easiest way to start it out. Let's just say all you've ever been doing is walking and, and good for that. Maybe you have a, you know, you're the proud parent of a furry one and you're out there walking them. Okay. Now what you want to do is pick up the pace, all right? So if you see a hill, don't run from it. Take that hill, attack that hill, and then just push it. How do you know you're pushing it? Because there's no way in holy hell you're going to be able to have a conversation with anyone. Um, you're, you're just like, no, and, and you are acidly focused on getting this sucker done. And you can count you know, how long it takes you to do that hill. You just look at your little, you know, watch and everything and figure it out. Um, let's just say it takes you 45 seconds to, to nail the hill. You know, it's just one of these little deep guys and then you're done up there. Pretty cool stuff. Now you can take, I don't know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, do a rest. Now pick up the pace, right, for 45 seconds. Really pick up the pace so that you're really race walking here. You're making it happen, brisk walking, um, and then do it again. See how easy it is. You could just do it without, you know, all the fancy, you know, programming and back and forth, just so you understand 
that A, you will survive 45 seconds of sweating. Yes, it will happen. I, I know. Trust us, please. Um, and, and also you feel really good afterwards. You know, when I do, when I've done marathon training, you know what those are. You do those little fart licks and you have to go very, very fast. And then you don't go fast and then you do it again and again and again. Um, I mean, there's so many ways to be able to do this. You could be creative, just make it happen one way or the other. One of my favorite ways, quite frankly, is kettlebell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kettlebell's um, great. I'm a kettlebell. I'm a complete kettlebell nutcase. Um, I love the kettlebell. And so that way, boy, you will get your heart rate up so fast because there's no way to do a kettlebell slow. It just does, you know, if you're doing a swing, you know, you're already working. So it's like zero to, you know, high intensity interval training. And I love it. So again, so many different ways to be able to play with this. Now, the next one, I, it's interesting. I, I want your thoughts on this because, oh, I got some thoughts too. Exercise for weight loss. This trend incorporates weight loss programs like dieting and cooking classes with an exercise routine. So this is a trend, meaning that classically these cooking classes, uh, they kind of were all by the, they're a little lonesome and you know, you're just doing nutrition separately and all the rest of it. Now they're all, you know, intertwined. So what about exercise for weight loss? You know, I think when we talk about weight loss, we are talking about different things. So there is weight loss for women who suffer from obesity. That's weight loss that's more dramatic. And then there's weight loss. Well, I've put on about 10 pounds. I don't feel quite as good. I would kind of like to shave that off. The approaches to those two scenarios are very, very different. Because what you're dealing with among, you know, what is that individual's baseline baseline fitness? What is their baseline nutrition situation? The big question is what is their relationship with food? And that is a very, very complex thing. So, you know, when I, when I became a certified nutrition coach with Precision Nutrition, they always said very simplistically, the best diet for somebody is the one that they can stick to. And doing all of these fad diets and overhauling your, uh, your diet for 30 days, you know, that's not sustainable. Um, you're just going to bounce right back and you might wind up being 10 pounds heavier than you were before you started. So I, I don't like to really think about, you know, weight loss as a goal. You want to optimize your health. Now, if optimizing your health requires that you lose 20 or 30 pounds, that's just part of what you need to do. Um, so you know, optimizing your health and and getting to a healthy weight requires movement and nutrition. And what that looks like for each individual person is very, very different because of what their goals are, what they need to be healthy, and what their relationship with food is. Okay. I completely concur. My issue is this. I'm a body composition person. So I'm not thrilled with with this kind of weight loss with exercise thing for a number of reasons. Now, first of all, you know, and I know, I'm a Pew Scholar in nutrition and metabolism. And so, you know, my goodness, I've been hammered over the head with this. 
And that is nutrition, the changes you make in how you eat, when you eat, and all the rest of it. The nutrition changes write the sentence. Exercise is the period at the end of that sentence. So exercise will secure and help you sustain what you've just done with your nutrition. Um, And so it's important that people, you know, how many of us have seen people killing themselves at the gym? And they go home and they eat the same trash. And then they scratch their head saying, well, why am I not seeing any changes? Well, I just explained that. You won't um, because you just neutralized everything and, and probably even worse. So I tend to concentrate more on body composition. I look at, um, I, that's why I love the body composition scales um, that come with apps and give you um, a running score, you know, like on a monthly basis of, of how you're doing with your muscle mass, um, with your fat mass. They even talk about visceral fat, which is so terribly important, et cetera. Um, and I'd like to mark that because the numbers, instead of a scale number, are, are more gentle. It's not like you're seeing 256. You know, Instead, what you're seeing are body fat percentages, relatively speaking, subcutaneous and otherwise, um, overall and visceral, and, and lean body mass um, uh, totals so that you can watch what's happening. And it kind of gives you incentive to really work out and do well, but at the same time knowing in the back of your mind that how you're eating, what you're eating, when you're eating is, is going to be integral and critical for your uh, weight reduction, overall weight reduction. I'm talking about the fat mass. It's your fat mass that you're really addressing and then your lean body mass that you want to hold on to and build as best you can, depending upon where you're standing. So I, I, I look at it like that. And, and I think a lot of people kind of like that too. Um, oh, for that sure. Body for sure, because it's all yeah. a package, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, losing fat, gaining, but just optimizing your health involves optimizing your muscle mass, optimizing your fat mass. And that looks different for, for everybody. I, I agree with you. I like all the, um, the body composition scales. And what's important more so than the absolute number, because any one number isn't the number for everybody to try to achieve. You know, I mean, if we start thinking that way, we're going to go back to the eighties where everyone has to be a size six, you know, even if you're six foot two, um, you know, the, the, the absolute number isn't as important as the trend, you know, are the changes you're making in your nutrition and the changes you're making in your movement, increasing your muscle mass and decreasing your fat mass and moving you in the right direction. I love it. And then of course the, the final one is sort of a no brainer. It's what I love to call a keen grasp of the obvious and that's personal training. And, you know, you do, um, the coaching, um, and the training. So you live and breathe this. And um, I'm thrilled to see that it made it into, you know, the top 10, because as I said before, if you're, especially if you're just beginning, you need to have an expert really walk you through this. And if you're someone who's more elite and wants to like, you know, when I was beginning my marathon training, I was very fortunate uh, to meet Jeff Galway, the the Olympian. And uh, Jeff became my coach, and he really helped me understand uh, what I needed to do uh, as a woman 
Um, and uh, his approach was fabulous. And so I really had a lot of fun with that. Now, as we're closing out, I'm just going to ask you a really interesting question. Um, and that is, so look around. The average woman now, you know, um, weighs so much more. Her, her waist circumference is about 38 inches. And, you know, in the 50s, um, a waist circumference was about 27 to 28. And, and I say that because of the belly fat issue and all the rest of it. And we see so much now spoken about the, the different kinds of body shapes. And why can't I maintain this particular body shape if I happen to have an extra 50 pounds on board or an extra whatever it may be? And we as physicians are challenged with, you know, really approaching this um, with an open mind, sensitivity, um, but at the same time, I can't help, you know, being a doctor. And, and, I, and I remember that, you know, things like, for instance, um, the number one reason why uh, knee replacements occur in the United States is from people who carry too much weight. It's not from the NFL. It's from that. So that being said... I don't know, what, what is your thought on all of this movement in the United States as women have gotten much larger? I think things, it's gotten easier to do less and it's gotten easier and more access to highly processed foods. I, I think that has contributed to it. Um, in terms of why is there this gap between what we know in medicine and fitness and how it's translating into the general population? You know, the I think it's the American Heart Association or some of the task force say that the recommendations are that people get 150 minutes of moderate to high intensity, blah, 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 in three days of or two or three days of resistance training. They have this whole list of things. And, you know, it's data-driven, it's evidence-based, it's solid, but yet only 15 to 25% of people are actually meeting those guidelines. So where is it falling short? I think, you know, the lifestyle changes that are required require additional help. You can't just tell somebody, do this because the data says it and expect that they're going to go out and do it. It's hard to change your relationship with food. It's hard to get out and motivate yourself to run on, on a day where it might be raining or whatever. It's hard to motivate yourself to get off the couch after you've been working a 12-hour day. So sometimes we need a little extra help, and I think that's where the medical community falls short, um, myself included, because we don't have the resources to help that individual on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think this whole idea ties in with that last trend about personal training. I think getting a coach is the most underutilized solution out there. There are tons of coaches now, especially online coaches, which have emerged um, through the pandemic. Sometimes all you need is that one person to check in with at the end of the week, someone who's going to hold you accountable. And technology and all of the things we have accessible to us make that a little bit easier. So I think there's a lot of knowledge there that's solid, but it gets lost in translation because I don't think the medical community realizes how hard it is for people to just implement it all by themselves. They need help and they need resources, and that's where the gap is. Yeah, and I think that simplistic energy in and energy out stuff, 
um, is so much more complicated than that. Um, and it's just, we have to have sensitivity and we have to lead with compassion. Um, and we, we really, really need to educate um, both providers and the general population because there's such stigma and, and there's such bias. And you and I both know that. Um, and we just need to be open-hearted and open-minded. And you know what I say is, you know, it's like Lao Tzu, um, the famous uh, philosopher said, you know, that, that journey of a thousand steps begins with that first one. And uh, with just a tiny little step, that's all you absolutely need. Oh, this has just been amazing. I mean, Carla, I could sit here and talk to you forever in a flipping day um, because, you know, we're, we're both aligned and it's it's great to be able to talk to a kindred spirit um, and to you know get the message out there. There's no question about that. So I want to thank you so much for being on the Her Podcast. Well, thank you, Pam. I appreciate the opportunity, and it was really really nice chatting with you, Dr. Carla Di Girolamo. Perfect. Did I say you it right? You said this it time? perfectly. Hey, <laughs> yes, um, a uh, a performance. Um, endocrinologist. Um, if you've never heard that before, now you have, and it's just amazing. I've learned a lot, and thank you so much. So grateful for your words of wisdom. And everyone, run on over to iTunes right now and click on it and give us that rate and review because we want to hear from you. Why do I want to hear from you? Well, hum, because I'm Dr. Pam Peek. I'm the host of the Herb Podcast, and that's why. And I want to give another shout out to our wonderful sponsor, Solaray Vitamins, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y, vitamins.com. Run on over. It's multiple vitamin time. Hmm. Okay. And listen, you can follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peak or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peak MD. Remember to catch every single episode of the Herb Podcast on iTunes, Radio MD, and all of the major platforms. Ah, thanks for viewing and listening today. Stay safe and stay well.